It's Monday morning and you know what that means. No, not another start of a dreary work week. It's time for building a better Cheyenne. So grab your hard hat, grab your hammer, or maybe just a cup of coffee and let's get building. Hugh, Ken, how are you guys doing this morning? Doing well. Had a wonderful weekend. My sister was in town returning back east. She had spent the winter up in Jackson working at ski resort and so on her way back down to the denver airport she stopped in said hello we were able to tour around cheyenne a little bit show her some of the sites and 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 she bought she made a purchase from the restore if i remember correctly you telling me this morning right she she did she has gotten really into the touring skiing well up there and who's buying some <laughs> some equipment for next season. She's She's got her fingers crossed that she's coming back next year. Nice. Ken, how was your weekend? It was splendid, Hugh. I got to spend my Sunday making one of my favorite chili recipes. I think I've made it for you once, but um, so sweet potato base, uh, cannelli beans, black beans, like kidney beans, some poblano peppers, jalapenos, green peppers. But I... I love cooking and for other people. So I got to share that meal with some friends, but nothing like a nice warm cup of chili to ease into the last hours of the weekend and prepare for a work week ahead. So feeling grateful for good food and good times with good people. How about yourself, Dan? Yeah, it was pretty, pretty relaxing, but we did get out and go for a nice hike yesterday. Uh, took the dog out, let him run around, went on a, uh, one of the four service roads that starts off a happy Jack that we hadn't been on before and how we usually choose our trailheads is, well, there's nobody else there. So it looks like a good one. So it was a good, it was a nice hike. That's very reasonable. That's a, that's a, that's a good approach. <laughs> well, we got a little bit of an icebreaker today and, and hiking made me think of it talking about hiking. And it's uh, usually on, on long hikes, we like to finish with a nice, nice little snack, usually some type of candy bar. So uh, my favorite candy bar uh, after a hike is a payday because it's uh, sweet and salty and it's very fulfilling after a nice hike. What about you guys? Yeah, I feel like I'm missing out because I'm allergic to um, peanut butter on protein packed candy bars. Oh, no. Just for um, pure delivery and taste. I'm a fan of like a Twix, like three musketeers. Left Twix or right Twix? Which one are you? Um, If I dextrous maybe left but right <laughs> yeah but a Twix bar hits the spots ordinarily nice Hugh how about you I mean it's not really in bar form but I do like it <laughs> I do like a Reese's peanut butter cup they are excellent and also going with that circular theme I like junior not junior mints York peppermints I mean, I don't really know the difference between the two. I think they've got similar flavors. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like the I like the mint candies, and I like the peanut butter cups. Can't go wrong. I, I love your response here. It's like, well, it's not in bar form. <laughs> Some people might think it's sacrilegious, as I'm, I'm speaking from the point of view of a Pennsylvanian, but I was always very unimpressed with Hershey's chocolate bars. I get the utility of the little like squares that you can break it down in and it's functionality for s'mores and whatnot, but it just tastes like air. Like you bite into it and it's gone. And it's like that episode of SpongeBob 
where like Patrick has like one candy bar. And he's like, I think I'll eat it now. And he eats it. Then he goes back and it's utterly gone because it's just like a thin veil of chocolate. I mentioned Pennsylvania there. We are elated to have Sam Elma join us on the show today. Sam is Nebraskan through and through. He's a big SpongeBob fan as well, but uh, he was born, raised, and educated in the Cornhusker State. And um, he's going to be a member of the University of Wyoming College of Law class of 2024, I believe. But due to the pandemic, he, like many of us, took a year deferral and put that time to good use by serving with Wyoming Children's Law Center in Laramie as a VISTA. And he's going to be sharing more details with us on his work there. But he's been an incredible asset so far, whether it's data collection efforts or social media outreach on behalf of Wyoming families in the juvenile justice system. So Sam, welcome to the podcast and thanks for making the time. Yeah, thanks Sam for coming on. We appreciate it. Just starting off today, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and some more of your background? Well, like Ken said, I'm a Nebraskan through and through. It's kind of just started off as like an inside joke among the Vistas, like, oh yeah, Sam's from Nebraska. So I like really leaned into it a lot, like to the annoying point even. So uh, just always annoying them that I grew up in Nebraska. So not too far from Wyoming. I was pretty familiar with Wyoming. I, my family did come up, vacation, ski, whatnot in Wyoming. So that's kind of like, I, I knew you guys existed before I moved out here. <laughs> yeah. So moved out here last summer, just graduated from the University of Nebraska. And I was excited to get going and serve the state of Wyoming whatever way I could. And what did you study at Nebraska as a refresher? Yeah, I got my Bachelor of Arts in History and Political Science. Very nice. Any study abroad type things that you were involved with there or um, trips out of the, the great and only Cornhusker State? Yeah, as much as nobody would want to ever leave Nebraska once you're there. It's just so beautiful. But once I did do a brief study abroad trip, it was we didn't really do any studying. It was a two-week deal in Israel. So we kind of did a bunch of tours all around the country. We'd spent some time in Tel Aviv at a kibbutz down in Southern Israel, and then wrapped it up in Jerusalem, just two weeks, and then wrote a paper about it when we came home. And that was it. That was one of my bigger regrets in college. I should have done a full semester study abroad, but just never took that opportunity. So and not many get to do a full year of national service. So mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> Yeah, and, and for those of you who haven't enjoyed the grand vistas of Nebraska, especially along I-80, man, you're missing out. It's it's something else. Our official tourism slogan, this is our official deal, is Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. And so we just really got to lean into that. I really love that a lot. It's, it is a beautiful state. I say that like it's ironic, but I really do like it. It's good people. It's a lot of fun. Don't just fly over it like everybody else. It's It's good. <laughs> No, there are there are some really scenic parts to the state in my limited experience in traveling in Nebraska. My uh, my wife's family is from Greeley, Nebraska, so about an hour and a half north of Grand Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were there. They do a St. Patrick's Day or halfway to St. Patrick's Day Irish Festival in September every year. And so I was able to go in 2019. And there's a little town north of Greeley where there's a winery and they have this nice deck and it overlooks a bunch of rolling hills and some, some river breaks and stuff. So it's, it was pretty, I, I jest about the I-80 though. It, it's a drive. It almost, almost all the vistas had to go through it coming to Wyoming. And so I always ask, Oh great. You went through Nebraska. What was your favorite part? 
They said, oh, it was just so great. It's like eight hours. It's great. Dan, I'm not entirely convinced that you're not paid off by the Nebraska Department of Tourism. That was a very detailed, was a very detailed suggestion. Got a little something working on there. My, I, I don't know if you guys know this, my dad actually does work in tourism in Nebraska. He's the executive director of the Hall County Tourism Board. So Hall County is Grand Island, Nebraska. So I always have to give a little shout out. You got to support the family. You know, they, they got to <laughs> support tourism in Nebraska. That's a nice little nugget there. Yeah, there you go. I don't know if my dad will listen to this or not, but <laughs> there you go. Everybody go visit Nebraska. Go visit Grand Island. <laughs> so Sam... Ken mentioned that you had graduated in 2020. What was the driving force behind your year of VISTA service? What really inspired you to take this opportunity and leave Nebraska and come to Wyoming? It's always a big step when a young young Nebraskan decides to leave the nest and go out into the big world, especially somewhere like Wyoming. So what happened was... My my grand plan for pretty much all of undergrad was to eventually go to law school of just of some kind. I wanted I knew I wanted to be an attorney. Wasn't exactly sure what kind of attorney, but I knew that would get me on the right path. And so as I was wrapping up my undergrad, as you do, I applied to a bunch of different law schools and I got into one of my preferred options was the University of Wyoming. So I got accepted. I was very excited. And that was in February of 2020 when I got that acceptance letter. Like, all right, that's great. I'll plan on moving to Laramie. And then obviously a month later, March hit and COVID hit. The world kind of shut down and classes were all being canceled and all this fun stuff. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll take a step back. Even if I think I'm ready for law school, maybe this is a good excuse to just take a year off, get my bearings, move to Wyoming first, and just kind of wait out the pandemic. So what I did was I wanted to find a job that first off would take me for a year and that would be hopefully somewhere in Wyoming. If any of you have been job hunting during a pandemic, which I guess Hugh and Ken obviously were, it's not fun. It's not easy. Got that right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not very fun. But eventually I did. I found an AmeriCorps Vista position that really interested me, but it wasn't through EJW. It was up in Powell at the Hart Mountain Interpretive Center, if you guys are familiar with that area. So they were hiring a VISTA. And I'm going through the interview. It's going good. And I mentioned that I wanted to go to law school. And my plan was to go to the University of Wyoming. But, oh, well, if you're interested in a legal route, Equal Justice Wyoming's hiring a bunch of VISTAs. Maybe you should check them out. Here's here's the email for whoever's in charge of that and give it a shot. So I emailed who it was. It was Leora Hoschel, who I think you all know. And from there, yeah, she told me about the EJW VISTA program and what they were doing. And it's a little bit closer to home. Laramie's closer to my folks' house than Powell is. And I said, thought it just suited me better and would better prepare me for law school to do this route instead. So that's kind of the long story of how I wound up in Laramie and how I wound up at the Wyoming Children's Law Center. Have you been to the Hart Mountain Interpretive Center? No, I haven't. No. It's something, yeah, I just kind of knew about, it, and I obviously researched it leading up to that interview. I thought it was really interesting, but no, I haven't been up to anywhere in Northwest Wyoming, really. I'd like to. It's definitely on my bucket list. So I, I, I have actually never been there myself, but it's on my list to do because I've heard it's fantastic. But 
Heart Mountain was one of several Japanese American internment camps that we unfortunately had here in our own country in, in during World War II. And so I've heard it's very fascinating and an amazing place to visit. So for our listeners out there, if you haven't made it up there yet, like I said, it's on my list to do. Thank you for uh, shedding light on that, Sam. I, I consider myself a student of history, but I was not aware that that was in our state. And if I can, if I can swing it, go out towards that direction before head back to East Coast, we'll certainly try to do that. So you talked about how ending up in you know, Laramie was a pleasant surprise of sorts and that you're initially gunning for that other job, but then you're recommended come to Laramie by that person. But now that you've been in Laramie for almost a year, that's kind of a nice trial run of sorts to see how you're going to like staying there for the next three years. And you talked about knowing you want to be an attorney, but has this experience so far with the Children's Law Center really doubled down that you want to be involved in child and family law or what have your takeaways been from that and influencing the lawyer you want to be? Yeah, family law was always kind of on my radar in that the biggest thing about family law is that you help people individually. Like I didn't want to be a big corporate lawyer that just helps big companies, you know, save as much money or avoid loopholes or do whatever. I wanted to, you know, be a little more relational than that and actually help individual people. So family law was up there. And yeah, it's definitely strengthened. I guess my desire is what the best word I can think of to uh, pursue that field and to, uh, yeah, just go after that family law. I've learned a lot here. Lawyers are always really great about just chatting about their cases and what they think they're going to do with it. And I'm kind of annoying them, but I don't think they mind it too much. Just pestering them all the time about their cases. And as, as far as the clinics that the College of Law runs and their curriculum around child and family law, to my understanding, they're one of the best up and coming programs in the country for that specialty. So definitely think you're in the right place for that. Yeah, I haven't actually gotten a chance. She was one of the people I really wanted to meet. Donna Platon from the University of Wyoming College of Law. She runs the family law clinic and is just doing really great things there. So knew that that was a big driving force and I applied here. Yeah, I love talking and working with Donna. She, she's done so much with the Access to Justice Commission as part of Wyoming Supreme Court. It's just a great mind to talk and explore ideas with. She's been awesome. Definitely get a hold of her if you can. Yeah, it's it's funny how I just still haven't met her yet. It's almost like I'm trying to avoid her. I'm definitely not, but it seems like <laughs> she she crosses paths a lot with our law center. So don't worry, Donna. Is Donna a listener to this? <laughs> she's like the final. She's like the final boss. <laughs> she's the, yeah, she's the final, the ultimate person I meet here in Wyoming. I'll go. <laughs> What's been your favorite thing about your time in Wyoming so far? Favorite thing about my time in Wyoming? Well. What I've liked about Wyoming so far is working with this Vista group. It's been a lot of fun. We're all in more or less the same boat and taking a year off, or we've maybe had other plans and then got pushed into this, so to speak, by COVID or by other driving forces. We're all roughly the same age and we're all, you know, we all know how to have a little fun. So it's been a fun group working with the Vistas here. Nice. And what would you say is your most memorable Wyoming specific experience? That's another good question. I guess my mind immediately jumps to when all of our, the Vistas for the EJW, we decided to take a weekend trip to visit Madi, who's another Vista. She works for the Wyoming Coalition for Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault. 
she works up in Lander. So we took a weekend trip up there, hung out around the reservation, got to see all that stuff. And that was cool for a couple of reasons. One is I got to see the reservation, which I haven't visited before, but also just driving for all those hours across Wyoming where there is just nothing in between. I don't know if you've ever made that drive between Rollins and Lander. It is sparse out there. <laughs> it's yeah, it's something else. That night driving back, Sam, I remember vividly just trying to keep your taillights in my purview going through Muddy Gap at night. <laughs> I was just like, I cannot lose him. I'm like, I'm going to enter a sheer state of panic if I lose sight of Sam's truck. <laughs> I've never been so excited to see the town of Rollins, but when we got into Rollins and split ways, I was like, okay, I can, I can rest easy. I'm like, we made it through <laughs> That, that was an awesome trip. Do you remember, you, you can probably cut this later if you really want to. This is kind of weird, but we were driving. It was pitch black, dead of night. And there was just a man with a white horse, like an old cowboy. And like, I thought I saw a ghost, but Bree, who was with me in the truck, confirmed it. It was a weird experience. We might've saw a ghost. I don't know. But he was like a hundred miles from the nearest town. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. I do recall. I, I, I didn't take on the form of the ghost fully as I was driving and trying to look straight ahead, but I definitely saw my periphery. And yeah, I immediately turned to our Vista leader, Grant and Daniel. And I was just like, did we just see that? Like that existed, right? And we got service and texted back and forth. But that was a sigh of relief to know that I had not lost my mind by that point. We should look that up if there are any cowboy ghost stories out in the boondocks of Wyoming. I don't know. Fremont County. It sounds like the next like cheaply produced war film. Cowboy Ghost of Wyoming. Oh yeah. <laughs> so diving a little bit into your work with the Wyoming Children's Law Center, could you briefly outline your duties as a VISTA for us? Sure. I mean, I do whatever they tell me to do, basically. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they, do. Uh, they gave me the it's called a VAD. It was a VISTA assignment description ahead of time. So, and I've been following that pretty closely. Uh, I'm in charge of generally it's outreach, which I think is a pretty common duty for all AmeriCorps VISTAs. So I took over the social media. That's been fun for a couple of reasons. One is that I don't know how to run social media. And so I am figuring that out as I go. You should like us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Those are our two main, main sources we do. I do our monthly newsletter. So we pick a topic once a month, send that out, enlighten the public on all things juvenile justice and what we're doing out here. Help with fundraising, grant research. So that's the outreach portion of it. And then another part is the data collection part of it, which has been a lot of fun in itself too. <laughs> the Children's Law Center, we've been trying to collect data relating to juvenile justice, which we don't really have a very good, clear, uniform way in the state of Wyoming of having all that data. So that's what our executive director, Donna Sheen, she took on this project close to 20 years ago, even trying to collect and standardize that data. So been helping with that a lot. So it's been fun too. <laughs> Working with data can be a little tough, even just looking through our Habitat outreach list. It can be kind of hard to, to standardize it. And you've got like addresses and different formats for each 
Excel spreadsheet and you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, when, when I close my eyes, I still see Excel spreadsheets just they're everywhere <laughs> in the grid with all the numbers. Uh, I don't know, but it's been good. It's been rewarding. <laughs> and if I recall correctly, at the close of 2020, you launched a campaign that was asking Wyomingites, how will you help a Wyoming child in 2020? And you talked me a bit through the methodology, but you kind of deciphered that for $400, any giving individual could completely pay for a legal case that a Wyoming family couldn't otherwise take on or afford. Can you tell us a little bit more about the campaign, how the idea came about, and the community response to it once you put that message out there? Yeah, that was that was a pretty interesting fundraising campaign. And the fact that I've never done something like that before, I'm asking a bunch of people that I don't know for, for money. So the idea, well, first off, most of what the Wyoming Children's Law Center funding, it comes through grants, which is great, but I wanted to get a lot more individual partners throughout the state of Wyoming. So that's good because it raises awareness. And also when individuals give you a donation, it's not a grant, so it's not tied to any qualification or any, you don't have to jump through it, all the hoops the grants might want you to. They just give you money and it's yours so that you can do whatever you want with it. So I wanted to figure out a way that it wouldn't just be me emailing a bunch of people saying, hey, give us money, anything helps. I mean, those are those are fine and good and all, but I wanted a solid number and say X amount of money will help do Y, right? So we sat down and figured out okay, it costs about $400 per case of what we handle. And so sent out a lot of emails to everybody in the bar. We have this great big bar directory. It's a physical book. They don't give us a digital version. So I typed it out all into an Excel spreadsheet and emailed every lawyer licensed to practice in the state of Wyoming. Said, hey, here's who we are. Here's what we do. For $400, you can pay for an entire case or you can pay for $200 as a half case, $100 as a quarter of case, et cetera, et cetera. So I sent that out to all the lawyers. And then I also did a big, pretty big push on our social media pages. What ended up happening then, we didn't have bad results. We raised a little bit less money than I was expecting or what I wanted. But I mean, some money's better than no money. We ended up raising about four grand. So do the quick math. I think you can figure it out. It's about 10 cases that uh, we'll be able to help this year, the year 2021. Hey, those are 10 cases that may have otherwise not been paid for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. The idea to you know, target individual contributors versus you know, grant partners is very innovative and not, not a lot of people take that jump in, in their work or to like sit down and be like, I'm gonna look through this entire directory of lawyers to the one <laughs> and contact them. So that, that initiative is tremendous. And I, I think future vistas coming into the role, got to know that that's, that's to be expected at times that you got to put yourself out there and see if something's going to stick to the wall or not. And from, from your work and initiative, you funded 10 cases. So congrats to you, my friend. That's, that's pretty cool. I appreciate it, Ken. Yeah. That's, that's what I found a lot of this job is, is just trying things that you haven't done before or just doing what might seem like a stupid idea at the time might be a great idea. What you think might be a great idea at the time could turn out horribly. So that's just part of our job is to 
run around and maybe try stupid stuff and see what sticks. <laughs> That's a good summarization of the experience for sure. Yeah, I should I should get a job uh, trying to recruit for all our vistas for next year. This is just just try stupid stuff, guys. It's, it'll be great. <laughs> well, what other than the the successful fundraising campaign? What have been some of the other projects you've worked on in your time at the Children's Law Center? Mm-hmm. So, oh, where do I even start? I've done a handful of projects. The first project I did it was pretty fun actually. What I did was I identified a bunch of Wyoming nonprofits especially related to family or children and just kind of cold called or I sent them an email first and tried to set up meetings for their executive directors and just learned about them, learned about their nonprofits, see what drove them to do it. And I asked them things like what's working for your nonprofit, what's not working. It probably wasn't too different than what you guys are doing here, except I didn't record them. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's a, didn't record them in a podcast format. So but that was a fun project. So that's how I got started. What else have I worked on? I've worked on the Juvenile Justice Data Project, which we talked about a little bit. I've been working on, oh, we had a, we're currently working actually. Uh, We had a policy advocacy center from Berkeley, California, at their law school, Cal Berkeley. Uh, They reached out to us and said, hey, we're trying to reduce or eliminate all fines and fees for juveniles just in America, basically. And we're starting with Western states. And going to kind of try to move our way eastward over time. So they reached out to us. They made it to Wyoming. And so they gave us a pretty good grant that was able to fund this uh, research and data collecting and just this project as a whole, trying to reduce or eliminate, very aiming to eliminate all fines and fees for juveniles in Wyoming. So that was pretty fun. Those are some of the bigger ones that are sticking out to me. Elaborate what they what 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 they specifically were meaning by fines and fees. Like what types of fines and fees are they trying to get rid of? Mm-hmm. So when you go to court of any kind, pretend you get arrested for I don't know speeding or whatever. So you could well, that's not a good example because they they would just give you a ticket and that would be a fine, right? So a fine is what you pay for doing something wrong. A fee is like something like how much it cost us to take care of you or to do X, Y, or Z in the court system. And so what we found is both fines and fees are pretty discriminatory against juveniles. And that one, it's kind of a tax on poor people. So to speak like, uh, so somebody who's better off financially could handle a hundred dollars fine, no problem, but a hundred dollar fine to somebody, you know, in a poor demographic, you know, that's a week's worth of groceries. So that's a lot tougher to come by. So, what we're trying to do then is just to take them out and say, okay, we're going to try to put you in an alternative program or try to figure out some other better way that we can rehabilitate youth. It doesn't really work. The youth don't really learn their lesson, so to speak, with just a simple fine. It could be a slap on the wrist to one kid. It could be really debilitative to another kid. Some counties, they might imprison a kid if they don't come up with the money until they can come up with it. So for example, they could imprison you for pretend you get a hundred dollar fine. They'll say, okay, you're going to go sit in prison. It'll be $20 a day that you're imprisoned until you can pay back the fine. But it actually costs about $95 to imprison a kid per day. So that doesn't make any sense. So anyway, we're trying to cut back on that. It's not good for the kids, not good for the families involved. It's not good for the court system. It's financially irresponsible. So this wasn't even our 
main project. This was, like I said, the Policy Advocacy Center really pushing for that. A lot of the points you just raised came up in a webinar last month that your supervisor, Don Sheen, was a part of, as well as a former guest of Michelle Sullivan on new directions for youth justice. And they haven't posted the recording from that conversation yet, but I, find, I found it to be a very engaging, interesting conversation on what are the realistic alternatives so that we're not committing a self-perpetuating cycle of you know, poor outcomes for youth who may be going through troubled times, but that doesn't mean that they can't be steered right into you know, meaningful opportunities for them and their families. So Wyoming2030.org is the place to track those webinars and conversations occurring across the state. Yeah, definitely. And have you interviewed Michelle Sullivan yet? I think she was a leading charge in that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I thought you interviewed her. That's right. So she's been really great with that, Wyoming2030 and a bunch of other people that I don't have enough time to mention all the people involved in that. But yeah, that just kind of reminds me, that's kind of the mindset in Wyoming right now, unfortunately, is, oh, a kid messes up. He has to learn his lesson, so you're going to go throw him in jail or, you know, make him do whatever, I don't know, pay a bad fine or throw him in prison. But that's been proven to not really work. It just kind of puts you on a bad pathway that kind of, I don't know if you heard the term, it's called school to prison pipeline. It's that you just go straight from school to prison. And then once you're in prison, it's just a bunch of bad stuff basically for the rest of your life for just a dumb mistake you might have made. I don't know, you guys might have been well-behaved young men growing up, but it's about everybody does dumb stuff when they're, you know, in middle school or high school. So it doesn't make much sense that some are harshly punished for it and some just kind of completely get away with it. But, you know, it's tough. And uh, Michelle had brought up too that a child spends 80% of their time outside of school and that, you know, the time that they're in school is only like 20%. So just de depending on environment that they're at, family situation, what life looks like beyond those, uh, thinking back to the school hours, but like eight to three, it can, it can create a world of possible new opportunities. Not many of them good. If, if it does not have that structure or, you know, role models or resources in the community that can help lift them up out of situation. So definitely all hands on deck type work. And it's, it's great that these conversations are ramping up. Wrapping up here, Sam, what would you tell future VISTAs interested in joining the cohort about taking over your roles and responsibilities? What have been the most rewarding as well as the most challenging aspects of your VISTA service? Mm -hmm. So I'll actually start with the second part of that question here, if that's okay. The most rewarding part of this Definitely just all the stuff you learned. Like, I should have wrote down everything I knew about juvenile justice and family law before I started here. It probably would have fit maybe on a sticky note, all the things I knew, and just kept track of everything I've learned. Because you learn a lot just even overhearing conversations or different meetings that the lawyers are here are involved in. It's been really good. And just, I think it'll help me a lot as I continue my legal education and advance on forward into my career. I really appreciated that a lot most challenging aspect of my VISTA service. So it's a lot of work. Um, and so I think a lot of VISTAs end up hitting this lull kind of halfway through the VISTA service or maybe three quarters of the way, like, oh, the pay's not great going through this. It's not, I'm not yielding a lot of fruit or I'm not seeing a lot of fruit. 
to my labor and uh, that can be really challenging, but yeah, once you power through it and the uh, benefits definitely outweigh the cost in terms of Vista service, I really enjoyed my service here. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Um, future Vista. I think I mentioned it before. Just have fun with it. See what works, see what doesn't work. There's no wrong answers. They probably won't fire you. Have a lot of fun with it. It'll be rewarding. You'll learn a lot. Yeah, and, and what you said about the hitting a lull, it, because Vista is focused on capacity building, you don't necessarily yeah, see that kind of direct impact of your work. The impacts could be breaching into the next years that go on after your service. I mean, you're going to be in Laramie, so you'll be able to easily check back in and see maybe some of the fruits of your labors. And Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. So you try to pop back in, see, just quizzing the next Vista, see how they're doing. No, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to. I doubt that when my Vista service ends, this will be the last I see of the Children's Law Center. I would not be surprised one bit if I, in some way or another, found myself either working with them in some way or helping out or something like that. And one thing that's so unique about your situation is that with going to law school next year and staying in Laramie, you've kind of become a de facto like ambassador to the community through that by virtue of your AmeriCorps work. And I, I think if there's one thing that we can strive to do really, whether it's beyond the projects at our sites, it's becoming a positive ambassador to the communities. And that if it's supporting one of our VISTA peers who's working on another project, and being there for their charitable event or spreading the word on social media, just do that at all cost, and to really throw yourself into relationship making and learning about each of the niche issues affecting the people in the town that you're living in. I, I feel so passionate about like Cheyenne and Laramie, these places that when I originally drove into, I was just kind of where the hell am I? And now like I can't imagine leaving. And it makes me really sad when just driving back and forth between places in the state. It's like, oh, like this won't be my home. That's a, it's a tough pill to swallow at times. You know, Ken, when you were applying to all your law schools and doing all that thing, I think you decided on a school eventually. But I told you, hey, we can both go to the University of Wyoming College of Law and just have a great <laughs> time. It'll be fantastic. I think you did end up applying. But I told you if you applied, were accepted and enrolled, I'd buy you a brand new cowboy hat. And I just think that's the best offer anybody could possibly make. And you just couldn't take me up on it. So it's too bad, but I'll forgive you. We could have had a great time here in Laramie together. I, I wanted the cowboy. <laughs> I wanted the cowboy pants and boots moreover, but. Um, oh, well, I made the wrong offer. That's my bad. I'm sorry. I should have offered the. <laughs> <laughs> the the Wrangler jeans and the boots combo. That's a great, that's a very formal attire out here. So, Speaking of cowboy boots and pants, one of our most eccentric fashionable vistas is going to be joining us soon. <laughs> Voices, see Sam knows. Dana Thompson, she, she's an all-around great person working for Cheyenne Regional Medical Center, doing a lot of harm reduction survey work, but he's going to be coming up soon for our Vista Voices series. Sam, it's been a lot of fun having you on today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Once again, it's been a lot of fun. It has been a pleasure. And we always enjoy when you head out of Laramie and come over to Cheyenne. Look forward to seeing you more, hopefully, this spring when the weather warms up. 
but for now, just to our listeners, make the magic happen in your community.